0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
1: 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Navity's interview with the director for Navalny, Daniel Roher.
2: Okay, so Alexei, I want to talk about something that we sort of touched on this morning. And you might hate this, but I really want you to think about it. If you are killed... If this does happen, what message do you leave behind to the Russian people?
1: Alexei Navalny has taken on the most dangerous job in the world, challenging the leader of the Kremlin,
2: Vladimir Putin.
1: If I want to be a leader of this country, if I want to fight Putin, I have to organize people. The Kremlin hates Navalny so much, they refuse to say his name. I was banned from everything and blacklisted. But as I became more and more famous,
0: I was totally sure that it would be problematic for them to kill me.
2: And boy, were you wrong.
1: Yes, I was very wrong.
0: arrives at this hospital in Berlin. To have your dad, an opposition
2: leader, being poisoned, it was literally like a book.
1: Come on, poisoned? Seriously? We were
0: so shocked. It's like Putin's leaving a signature on a crime scene. It's kind of
1: stupid found a domestic assassination machine on an industrial scale Navalny will personally call these poisoners one by one это Навальный Алексей вас беспокоит хотел узнать зачем вы хотели меня убить
0: Oh my god you ruined their day I think...
2: <laughs> Navalny is stepping into a showdown with the Kremlin I
1: want to go back and try to change it. Russia It's
0: something worth fighting for. Are you not scared, Alexa? All right, well, Daniel, thank you so much. I I doubt you or anyone had any idea just how timely this film was going to be releasing this spring. Uh, When it came to Sundance, did you... Imagine that you were going to release maybe the most relevant film of the year. No,
2: you never know. (laughs) When you make a film, it's a very insular process. You're with seven, eight very close collaborators. You become like a little family and you have no understanding or awareness of what the world's going to be like when the film's released. Maybe some other global story would dominate the headlines, which would wash stars into less relevancy. But when this war started, what we understood was that the role of the film had changed significantly. Yeah. And uh, the significance and power of the movie um, had increased since it premiered at Sundance. And to make something put your heart and soul into something and to have it reach the world at a moment when the world needs it and uh, it will do good. Um, thats I, I mean, I think it's overwhelming in a way that I haven't processed yet. It's, it's, it'll take me, I think, quite a while as I'm in the midst of this extraordinary experience to contextualize um, how this will impact my own life and identity and, and who I am, my own personhood in a, in a way.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing I'm curious about is in light of what has happened, do you foresee this film having an impact on Navalny being released or anything like that? Or is it more just it'll bring attention to him and hopefully means that he can't be harmed while, yeah. because of this film?
2: I think that the expectation that he's, he's going to be released is, is not a calculus that I am uh, thinking about or really uh, I, I don't think that's a possibility. Um, I think that's an unrealistic expectation. What I do hope, what I do anticipate and what I'm working and striving for is that this film as a vehicle to keep Alexei's name and plate on the global consciousness will help keep him safe. The, the yeah. theory goes that it's harder for the regime to murder Alexei if he is high profile, if his name exists yeah. in the global consciousness and the global ethos. So I think that that in a way this film could be a life insurance policy for him um, to dissuade the regime to murder him. And that's why it's critical that we show it to as many people as possible.
0: So tell me a little bit about how you connected with Alexei in the first place and how you kind of convinced him that you should be the person to shadow him and
2: tell his story. It's its, a, it's, a, it's own little spy thriller. I was in <laughs> Vienna, Austria in November of 2020 with one of the film's producers, Odessa Rae, and this bizarre strange wonderful bulgarian nerd with a laptop Christo grozev and i understood that Christo was this sort of savanti genius investigative journalist and one day he came in to a breakfast meeting we were having and he said i have something else you might be interested in and i said what's that Christo?" and he says he sort of like leaned in quietly we were i think in a restaurant he said you know that navalny guy and i said yes he says, I think I have a lead into who tried to poison him. And Christo Grosev could be the one person on the planet who could utter that phrase, I think I have a lead into who tried to poison him. And you take it seriously, because this is what the man does. He has made his, banked his journalistic career on uh, solving Russian state crimes, essentially. Uh, And because of that, Navalny knew who this guy was and was keen and happy to engage and and chat with him. Um, And a week later, Christo, Odessa, and I were driving across Germany to the Black Forest, which in and of, of itself is a cinematic landscape and universe. And I was to pitch Alexei on two things. The first thing I had to convince him of is why a documentary film, why a cinematic film was valuable to him. This is a guy who has a media holdings company. He has YouTube channels with millions and millions of followers. So why then did he need me? And the second thing I had to convince him of was that he needed me. He (laughs) I was the guy to make the movie. I was the right man at the right time in the right place. And and that was the conversation we had when I met him. I think it was on, um, it was like November 16th or something, uh, 2020. Well, how did you do that? How did you sell him that you were the guy? Uh, Christo of jokes about my pioneering arrogance. That's what Christo <laughs> saying. Um, But what I explained to Navalny was twofold. First, I had to delineate the difference between a YouTube video and a documentary. So from Alexei's perspective, he was saying, why would I make a documentary about this investigation when I could just make a YouTube video about it and put it on my YouTube channel? And I had to explain that a YouTube channel Is more adjacent to broadcast news. A YouTube video is released now. It's for immediate consumption. And 10 million people might watch it tomorrow, but then they move on with their lives. Mm -hmm. What I'm proposing, what I do is different. First off, it comes out in a year or a year and a half or two years. He envisioned a future where he might be locked up. He might be in prison in Siberia. And he needed some sort of vehicle to keep his name and his plight in the headlines. And what I explained to him is this film could be such a vehicle to keep his story relevant but the most important thing that i explained to him is that when people watch this film if we do it right if he cooperates they will think about him and his family for the next week month year maybe for the rest of their lives it reaches people on an emotional level that a youtube video cannot yeah. and I, I think Alexei saw me as like, you know, some artsy guy talking about emotion and cinema, a language that he is interested in, but doesn't necessarily speak. Um, but ultimately I was able to convince him that very, incrementally I said, let's just start shooting. What's happening is historic. So let's just start shooting. And I think it was that incremental approach that um, that gave him confidence to to just consent to start off the process and the rest is history.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, because uh, obviously he released the famous scene of the film yeah. like a year ago, yeah. and uh, it was big, but a lot of people, yeah. myself included, hadn't seen that footage until it was in your film, and it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> okay, round two, name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So can you tell me a little bit about the moment where you were with him capturing the confession
2: from a uh, FSB operative that they tried to kill him? So, So first and foremost, let me just set the scene. Alexei has this idea. He wants to call his poisoners. And I made a joke to Christo. You must know the Simpsons. You remember the Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons? Yeah. Oh no, Troy McClure. It's Troy McClure. Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from whatever, whatever. So I made a joke to to Christo. I was like, Christo, it'll be like, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from or I was like, I'm Alexei Navalny. You may remember me from trying to kill me. I said something like that to Christo. (laughs) And then that joke seeded its way into Christo's head. And then I filmed. I just happened to film a phone call with Christo the day before we, we shot the phone call where Christo made that joke to someone else over the phone, which made its way into the final film. So it's like art imitating life, imitating mm-hmm. art <laughs> But Christo and I had a long discussion about the phone call the, the night before, and he told me to have reasonable expectations. Probably nothing would come of it. Uh, uh, assassins and spies are trained not to divulge confidential information over the phone, that would be reckless. But we woke up, it was at five in the morning. We started shooting, we did five or six phone calls, and they would all go the same way there would be a call and then a hang up, and then a call and then a hang up. And it wasn't until probably the last call where I was sitting there, I was filming, and Alexei is doing his bit. And then I see out of the corner of my eye Maria Pevchik, his chief investigator, who's a very steely, very Russian woman doesn't emote. I see her jaw unhinge and hit the floor. This look <laughs> of absolute shock. And then I see Christo, his, his expression of absolute disbelief. And I knew that something am- amazing, unbelievable, historic, extraordinary was transpiring. I didn't speak Russian, but you didn't have to, to read what was going on. And I just remember sitting there holding the camera making sure it was in focus, making sure there was enough battery and there was space on the hard drives and just thinking to myself, don't stop (laughs) shooting.
0: (laughs) Do you know what became of the operative who uh, confessed? Uh, Is there like an epilogue there?
2: Yeah, there is. And it's really sad. He's disappeared. We don't know where he is. He's divorced his wife. Uh, His family members, his relatives' phones have been shut off. Their numbers have been changed. It has been suggested by a very, very, very credible source um, of Christos, the Bulgarian nerd with the laptop, that he is dead. Uh, That's entirely possible. And I remember hearing that news for the first time, and it was like a gut punch. I sort of staggered around for a day or two because I, I was forced to think about how my existence and my work specifically, and the fact that I didn't stop shooting in that moment, um, led to the uh, disappearance, the possible death of this, this man, who was not innocent, who was a member of um, uh, an assassination squad, but still as a human being, I can't help but feel the weight of that.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's heavy. Well, speaking of death, were you afraid of your own safety? And I mean, are you afraid of your safety now? During great. making this
2: or since it? <laughs> Solid transition, Will. Uh, <laughs> speaking of death, um, no, I'm not afraid of for my personal safety. I'm not afraid that I'm going to be killed or anything like this. I am aware of the risks. I am aware that I have aggravated um, a very aggressive and angry nation state that is known to go to great lengths to assassinate character sabotage people's lives, hack their emails, find compromising material. These are all elements straight out of the KGB playbook. Yeah. Um, But I think I understood that when I took this job. Just being around someone like Navalny puts you at a degree of risk. You're immediately on the radar of the Russian security services. And I just had to be okay with that. But the mission at hand and Alexei's character were more important than personal safety or anything like this.
0: You are a braver man than me, that's for sure. I'd I be terrified. Well,
2: I don't know about that. <laughs> say that, but if you were a filmmaker, if you were given the opportunity, you might do it too because it matters to the world. And that's what I think motivates any good documentarian. So you, uh, I read, I think, how many hundred hours of footage did you have initially? I think we had, I mean, it's not really, it, I, I say 400, but that's because we shot each interview with four cameras. So I can't, oh, gotcha. <laughs> you okay. need, which is kind of a cheat, but we had certainly in the hundreds of hours um, to the ire of my, my cinematographer and my editors. Um, I shoot everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Nikki Waddle, who's is the extraordinary DP of the film. My light master uh, calls me a garbage collector because I leave the camera there. And that's just my approach. But the reality is when you're shooting life, you don't know what's going to happen. And sure. sometimes if you're just shooting B roll or something, if you leave the camera there for five minutes at minute four forty five, you know, an old man might walk through the frame in a way that is just lovely and beautiful and makes the shot. And, and so I'm just, always committed. I was like, well, we'll do the work later. I'll sift through it. I'll find the gens. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of footage, certainly.
0: Well, how did you consolidate that into just uh, a feature? And also, I mean, there's a lot of exposition. I mean, this is pr- material that a lot of your viewers might not be super familiar with. How did you consolidate minimum like 200 hours worth of footage into a coherent film
2: that pretty much anyone can watch and understand? You know, well you're a man after my own heart asking about challenges of exposition it's an extraordinary challenge and it helps when you are working with the finest documentary film editors in the world and and i happen to be working with a man and a woman who are tied in pole position for the best in the world according to me and that was maya daisy hawk and langdon page and it really started with us trying to structure the film to figure out What the narrative trajectory was it seemed like it wanted to be a linear story we weren't sure, and I think the most critically challenging parts of the editorial process were the first seven minutes of the movie the first act of the film and then the last six minutes. Mm. Um, And the exposition it's always a challenge it's you have to ask yourself, who are you making this film for. Up here, you have like the Russian expert who speaks the language, who knows everything about the subject. We want this to appeal to them. And then down here, you have someone who's never turned on the news and is just not interested with geopolitics. And so we want the median, we I sort of make it for the middle. I want there to be something for both ends of the spectrum. And that means that really impacts your editorial choices and what you explain. But certainly when it comes to describing you know, how the murder plot looks, and how, would, how Christo unpacked it, I remember shooting that scene at this extraordinary cafe in Vienna called Café Spiro, the Spy Cafe. <laughs> That's awesome. Name. And as we were on set, Christo was explaining it, and I would get him to to dial it back. You know, it's almost as if those YouTube videos where it's like explaining concepts to to like two-year-olds or three-year-olds. Right, or four- right. Yeah, yeah. To explain it at the, the most basic level. And I, I remember turning around to the crew and asking one of the gaffers to explain it back to me just to make sure people are following along.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and once I had had it in a way that was like, A, B, C, D, very easy to understand. I thought that we could construct a scene out of that material. And, um, uh, thankfully it it works in the movie. It really does. Uh, everybody I know who watched it is like, this speaks
0: to me. It makes sense. It's very yeah. accessible. Well, I think we're about out of time, but before we go, uh, have you thought about what story you want to tackle next? Are you going to stick with Russia or is there
2: another topic you're interested in? Uh, there are a million other topics I'm interested in. <laughs> it's, it's challenging. It's like daunting to follow up this movie. Yeah. To this up is, is, is a fun challenge. Um, and I think the way I'm approaching it is by thrusting my energy into projects that are so totally different. Um, mm-hmm. uh, And that's what I'm excited about now is making a film that's a completely different type of film from this one.
0: Well, I I can't wait to see what it is, because obviously this is still the best doc I've seen so far this year. And it's, you know, it's it's a very important film. And I really appreciate you
2: bringing it to the world. Well, I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, you're obviously a movie guy, so it means double coming from you. So thank you for that.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so
2: much. Enjoy the rest of your week and I hope you feel better. Thank you so much. I'm all good. take care. All right. Appreciate
1: it. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the director for Navalny, Daniel Roher, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Navalny just had its world premiere on CNN a few days ago, but will be streaming on HBO Max on May 26, 2022. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.